again, it's really great to, to be here again. I was here this morning already, uh, but mostly talking about having been here a few years ago, I'm really glad to get the opportunity to, uh, to he- be here and speak with you and uh, talk a little bit about the work that I'm uh, doing in Albany. I, wanted, I think I didn't even say uh, when I was talking about the work in Albany this morning, thank you so much for your help. Uh, it means a lot to me. It means a lot to my family. In a lot of ways, my family is doing the work too. Uh, preachers, preacher families, everyone, everyone's kind of watching the preacher family. How's the preacher family going to behave? So in a lot of ways, the kids are, are, are in the spotlight in that sense. But also, um, my, my family is just in an area that's not as easy to, uh, to get together with a lot of Christians. And, you know, my wife and I make efforts to drive out to the other congregations and the other families that we know uh, to go get together for singings and things on the weekends or campouts and things like that. And that's always a three-hour drive uh, to, be, to be with other kids, at least three hours. It's three or four hours to be with other, other kids, um, the age of my children. And so knowing that there are a lot of people out there who want to be a part of that, that work and help us out, uh, to help my family out where we are, it means a lot to me. Uh, and, and I want to thank, thank you for that a lot. Uh, this has been a uh, dependable congregation just for encouragement but also for the support and my work. And that means a lot to me, and I appreciate that. Uh, this, is, this is where we meet. We have some office space. I talked about that a little bit this morning. I'm just going to go through this a little bit quickly. And th- these are some of the people, that, uh, the people that we worship with. Just a lot of really good, nice people. Uh, people who, uh, it, it, it's not as easy to just show up uh, in, in the north. Sometimes, I, because I grew up in, in Georgia, and, and I was in Florida and Kentucky, so I've been in areas where there's a lot of churches, and areas where the churches can be a little large. And, and I know that feeling of it's easy to get into the groove of just showing up, and, and, and that's good. Uh, but but w- where we are, everyone has to make a pretty big effort uh, to, to be a Christian and to stand out. And, and uh, because of that, there's just a lot of love and fellowship between everybody, and, and uh, it makes for good and uh, strong relationships. I Almost forgot this morning to say it already, but the, the Harris family, Simon and Teresa and Faith Harris, Simon is the other evangelist who works with me. He came and started working with me about three years ago. Um, he's not in a preacher training program. That's my joke. He's, he's my senior by about 12 years, uh, and I always talk about how he's about to graduate. Uh, but he came, and he, he helps out uh, to, to do the work with me. The Albany metro area has a little over a million people in it, and so we are just, we're just doing what we can to reach out and to find the people. Uh, that are there. This is my son Jack and my wife Heather, and there's Alice and Thomas, and that is actually, I think that's at a zoo. That's unimportant, actually. But they're here this time. They didn't come last time, and that made me kind of look like a, uh, well, the weirdo that I am without them to soften the rough edges. So um, if you have any problems with me, don't take it to them, but rather go to them, and you, it's easy to forget them uh, because my family is very sweet. In the evangelism that I try to take part in, uh, I've been trying to do some bus stop work where I go and I hand out a flyer, and I ask people if they want to read the Bible together, if they want to study. It's amazing. Um, in, in the north where I am, if you ask somebody if they like to read the Bible, they all say yes. And 99% of them say every day. And I really don't know how many. <laughs> I don't know if I believe any of that. But they, the people at the bus stop um, often... Uh, have that, uh, they come from the Bible background. A lot of them are, especially the guys, yeah, my mom made me go to church. And they don't, 
They say it in that joking, complaining way about their youth. And they have that look in their eyes like that would be a good idea for them today. And I don't really have very many people take me up on that. But there is that sense. Of course, that's with the bus stop demographic. That demographic changes between neighborhood and neighborhood. And so the people who have the nice cars and the nice uh, way of getting to and from work and don't have to use the bus, um, I've often had really uh, blank or ugly uh, responses to that. So the bus stop is a really good place for me to go to, um, especially since they know that they can take a piece of paper from me, they can even start talking with me, but their bus is going to come, and that's going to end the conversation. Um, And it's surprising how many times I am happy that the bus comes so I don't have to talk to this person any longer because there's a lot of other people I'd rather talk to. Uh, so so it's been, that's a good work that we have done. We work on, uh, have worked on sending out mailers, uh, uh, big old postcards like this and glossy fronts. The first one, the blue one, is just advertising front and back. I try to make it look pretty, but there's only so much I can do. Then each neighborhood, each little area would get three cards in the course of about a half a year. And we try not to spread it out, but, you know, every other month we keep it uh, within a within a two months or so, usually maybe three months. And they would get three cards. So they get the first one, then they get the green one and then they get the other green one. Uh, and the, the second two, uh, somebody had designed a really nice, attractive Bible. Uh, they didn't write the Bible verse, but they made the verse look attractive on the card. And so the backside of it is just the classic advertising for us with a little Bible passage they can read and all of our information but the front is pretty, and you can hang it on your fridge and maybe someday turn around and try to figure out who it was that sent it. And uh, that has been nice. We uh, sent a lot of those out. Uh, a year ago, Mark Chalmers received one and, and uh, decided to be baptized a little while after that. We have had some visitors respond to that. We had a number of phone calls for a while. Another thing that we did, uh, we do use meetup.com. And I don't know if you are familiar with that, but Meetup's one of those crazy internet things where you meet people, you, you know, meet strangers on the internet. All we do is we, we've got a page and we advertise any extra class that I'm doing at that time, which right now there aren't that many. Uh, the men, we get together on Thursday nights at a Starbucks, so I advertise that. But we advertise our Sunday morning and we meet on Tuesdays midweek. If you're on vacation, don't get confused. Well, we meet on Tuesday night. And so our Sunday morning class and our Tuesday night class in the assembly we advertise those. And uh, I always say if somebody says they might come for Sunday morning, hey, we have a worship hour afterwards. You're welcome to stay. One guy actually said, well, I need to get to my church afterwards, but I want to check you out. And so that, to me, that meant this was a great ad. People feel like they can come for a class and go. I'd love people to stay. But if, if it seems that open to them, that I thought that that might be good, uh, effective advertising. We haven't had a lot from that lately, uh, but that's been useful. And another thing that we did was we uh, put together two 15-second commercials to run on one of the local cable stations. Uh, I think it went on two, two of those channels, and they're like the, the Andy Griffith Show 24-7 kind of channel. Uh, so uh, we, you know, we weren't you know, coming before and after CSI or anything like that. But it was actually, I think, advertising for the kind of people who are, are watching those shows, have the TV on all day, and, and might be interested uh, we did get a little bit of a response, but uh, no real visitors out of that. Um, in all that effort, on purpose, we, we've used all of our reserve funds. We had too, many, too much money, and it, we wanted to put that into advertising. And in about, f- in about five years, we've, we've used it up. It took a long while. And that was a really good work. We're going to keep Meetup going because it's very inexpensive. Uh, 
and it kind of it helps boost our web page on the Google when you're when you're searching on Google. So that's been useful to us. But that's the sort of uh, outreach and evangelism that I've been working at. If you have any other questions, I'd be happy to talk with you about that. Uh, and uh, I, I, again, I want to extend my thanks. Thank you so much for your help and your support. It means a lot. Uh, sometimes when craziness is going on and I don't know what's what what's going on left or right. I know that there are a number of churches, and I've been able to visit and get to know so many of you uh, who are interested in what I'm doing and are interested in what my family is doing, or even the church family that you don't know <laughs> in Albany. And that's a really encouraging thought, and, and I wanted to uh, really extend my thanks for your help and your support in that work. For my lesson this morning, I want to look at the idea of Jesus calming storms. We're going to look at two little stories in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, uh, we'll read 23, uh, the paragraph that starts at verse 23, and we're going to read the paragraph that starts at verse 28. And the, the verse 23 paragraph is Jesus calming a storm. We all know it. Um, it's, we, we all know it so well, it's almost uninteresting. And that's one of the problems, right? Uh, I, I catch myself, every summer I end up doing a lot of s- sermons about Jesus, because I realize I haven't done sermons about Jesus in a year. Because it's so easy to get into what are, what are the important doctrines? What's the message? Here? What, what, is there a trouble that we need to address? Is there some sort of anxiety that we need to talk about? You know, Paul's got the heavy material and we, we need to work on that. And uh, the, the great teacher, I f- sometimes feel, is easy for me to ignore uh, in, in, in my own teaching. And I really try to uh, slow down and teach the for lack of a better term, the children's stories. That's not a good way to describe these. Jesus calming the storm is not a children's story. It's just a story that you can teach children also. And we need to remember that these aren't children's stories. Or in the next story that we're going to read about Jesus healing two men with demons, that's not a kid's story. It's a story that children will love also because it's exciting and big. But it's not a children's story. It was written for you and it was written for me. And we need to take the time to see how Jesus teaches us uh, how to handle the storms that that come by our way. Uh, I I wrote this lesson before the two big old hurricanes came. And and I don't mean any pun or uh, to to make light of that. uh, But but it's just the the way that life ended up kind of addressing or doing the the very sort of things that I was trying to address. I wrote these lessons really dealing with all that craziness. Our country's just a mess. And we always say that. And you can't say, oh, life was better in the 50s or life was better in the 40s. Life was never any better. But we feel like our country is in a major distress right now because it's so loud about it. There's always trouble. But the trouble's loud. And the evil out there is is given a very loud voice and given the opportunity to yell louder than usual and many of those who are against the evil are are yelling just a, as as ugly of a way so many people who who say that they're against the evils of the world and they start yelling in in, in just an evil way just as evil of a way and so our nation's tearing itself apart and that's just a stormy condition to be in. We, we are attacked by terror, and I don't even mean terrorists. We're often attacked by just the terror of an actual storm that comes out of nowhere. You can't, you can't predict it. And even if we have radar and we can literally predict where it's going, we don't really know where it's going to go. 
And there's not much we can do about a storm, an actual storm that comes from the outside and hits us. And they're out of our control. But there are the other storms that we create ourselves. I have sown the seeds of worldliness and I am reaping the whirlwind. Right. And there's a storm that comes from the outside and there's a storm that I make from the inside. And there's two storms that we're going to read about here. Jesus calms a storm that's on the water and Jesus calms two guys with demons. You can see where this sermon's going to go. We have problems out there that attack us and we have the problems that we create our own selves. Jesus can stop storms. Jesus provides peace. Jesus creates calm. That's what this is all about. And there is nothing else when we're in the middle of a storm. There is nothing else that we need to be thinking about other than Jesus. He can get me through this. He is my friend. He is my savior and he can get me through this. So we'll look at Matthew 8, starting in verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm and the men marveled saying what sort of a man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him there arose a great storm on the sea the storm was so much that it was the 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 boat was swamped with waves a great storm how many of these guys were fishermen you know the tax collector he's going "Ooh, this is a big storm and they're like, oh, no, this isn't anything big. And then it turns into a great storm. And they turn around and say, oh, no, no, this, this is a great storm. And they are stressed out. What is that like? I, I don't know how many of you all have been on uh, uh, boats in big water. When I, uh, w- when I was a child, my father was working over in Norway. And I've been on boats in big water, big ferry boats on open ocean. And in good water, and when it's not rough, is, it can be pretty terrifying. And when the waves are going, you look straight out from the boat and the the waves come up and all you see is sea because the horizon changed. And then the waves go down and all you see is sky because your boat is doing this. And that was when the boat was under control. And it can get scary. And I don't know what these guys were dealing with. The horizon's up and down. They have no strength. They have no support. It's open sky above them. Or maybe they have a little bit of a roof. What sort of a help is that going to do you've got the wind and you've got the wet and you've got the waves and just absolute sorrow i had this image of camping and we've all had the awful camping trips where it didn't just rain you're lucky if it just rained but if there's a windstorm with that and that's what they're dealing with but they're in a boat so they've they've got a tent above them and a tent underneath them and out of control but he was asleep nerve right (laughs) why was he asleep if you go back a a few verses verse 14 jesus entered peter's house and he heals the peter's mother-in-law and verse 16 that evening they brought uh, to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast the spirits out i don't know how exhausting it is to heal like that but i do know how exhausting it is no offense, to deal with tons of people. And I don't know you, and, and the, the people are coming or going, and that's draining, and he's probably teaching the whole time. I can, I can envision what this is like. 
Verse 18, now when Jesus saw the crowd gather around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. (laughs) This is what he was doing all day. And so he gets to that boat. How often do we read stories about Jesus sleeping? We have more stories of Jesus staying up all night or getting up early in the morning. And so a story where it says he was sleeping is significant. He was sleeping because he was a hard worker. He was doing the right kind of work. That's really the big point, right? Not just he was, had a hard day at work. He was, a, he was asleep because he was at peace. I like this passage. I keep forgetting to click this thing forward. The, the slides aren't that important uh, with this lesson. In Proverbs chapter 3, I don't know if you want to take the time to look at that. Just, there's a few verses here that I think are really great. 21 through 27. Proverbs 3, 21 through 27. My son, don't lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they'll be your life for your soul and adornment to your neck, that when you walk on your, that you will walk on your way securely. Verse 23. And your foot won't stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Don't be afraid of sudden terror. Or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence. And will keep your foot from being caught. Man. Jesus was able to sleep. Because he had the wisdom of God. Because he worked all day doing what was right. And he trusted in God. Do you think a storm's going to get in the way of salvation? Do you think Jesus said. Whoa. I didn't know it was going to get this bad. What are we going to do? It didn't surprise him. Because he was okay. The worst a storm can do to you is kill you. And there are worse things than dying. To be away from God is worse than death. And there wasn't anything getting in the way of Jesus and his plan. So he had nothing to be afraid of. And then they say in verse 25. Save us, Lord, for we are perishing. Absolutely right. They were perishing. Now we know the full story and how Jesus says, Why, oh, you have little faith. And Let's just stop here and realize they were perishing. And they, they recognized it. And they went to the right answer to their perishing. Save us, Lord, for we are perishing. Without Christ, we are dying. We are falling down, standing still. We are in the process of failing if Jesus isn't the one holding us and lifting us and caring for us. We have no life without Christ. In John 5, 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. They are in a boat, whether the storm is big or the storm is not non-existent. Without Christ, they're dying. And they turned to him and said, save us, Lord, we are perishing. So on the one side, I'm going to applaud them for saying that. But then, but then you've got to go with what Jesus says. They recognize Jesus is the answer. Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Yes. But then Jesus says, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. So Jesus is going to use this as a teaching example. He isn't just going to say, hey, good answer. You should come to me. For, for, your, for, for your problems. Instead, he addresses something a little bit bigger than that. Again, there's that, you're afraid? Why are you afraid? All this storm can do is kill you. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? That, what are you afraid of? 
Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? It is hard for me to know what to do with that verse. I can read it and know it's true, but I don't know how to do it. And this is what it's about. You memorize it so that when you are really perishing, spiritually, physically, you stop that fear. They had little faith. They did not have no faith. He says, oh, you have little faith. Was it the right amount of little to move a mountain? I don't know. They had faith, though. They had it tucked in their belt, right? They just weren't pulling it out and using it. Now you got that knife and you're trying to cut something and you're trying to, and it's getting duller and it's getting duller. Or if you've ever used a chainsaw, if you're trying to push a dull chain through a log, it's brutal. It's awful. It's frustrating. But you don't want to turn off that saw and sharpen it because it takes a long time to turn it to get it started up again. And sharpening that blade, it really is a pain in the neck, and you get marks on your hands. And so you're just gonna you're just gonna shove that butter knife through that log. No. You have what you need. Sometimes we we don't recognize that we have the faith that we need. And we don't even recognize that this is a moment to pull it out and use it. We're caught up in the moment that we forget to stop, turn around and say, Lord, save us. We are perishing. The car broke down and I I don't even know how to get it to the shop. And that's a problem. And I finally get it to the shop. And then the the other car broke down. Let's just stop and wait a moment and realize that we're rich enough to have two to break down. I have a good brother uh, at another congregation. He was telling me about when he had this car trouble and then the other one went down and they're trying to buy the one. And and it ended up there was a fiasco where there was a scam thing going on. So not only did he have the two troubles, but he was going to buy a replacement and it turned into a bigger trouble. And he was he, he enjoyed telling the story because he loved the conclusion. After it was all done, I said, why was I stressed? Why did I care? Yeah, he needed to work hard. He needed to try to get him fixed. He needed to get to work. He needed his wife to get to work. But he stopped and said, why did it bother me so much? It's just cars. I was able to get to worship. He was able to get to work. And he realized that he didn't turn around and say, Lord, help me. I'm perishing. It's not embarrassing to stop your life when the house is getting broken, when the cars are getting broken, when you lose your phone, (laughs) to stop and say, Lord, help me. I am perishing. Don't forget to trust God. That's what the problem was. He rebukes the winds and there's a great calm. It was a great storm. It's a great calm. I picture the water isn't moving to the point where it's that perfect reflection, right? No wind. They were at the extremes of terror, the extremes of horror and failure and life was at its end. And now they have supreme peace. And calm. Supreme joy. There was a great calm. What is more peaceful than being out in the middle of a lake when there's no wind and you got a sunshade? It's unbelievable how, how still and helpful that can be. This is a massive contrast that they dealt with. And we have that available to us. That big change. There we go, catching up. From the biggest storm of our life to the greatest calm that we could ever imagine. 
That's what salvation is. That is what having a dirty conscience and a clean conscience is. That change. That kind of calm. All we have to do is hold on to the side of the boat, trust that God has the power to save, and wait. Hold on, trust, and wait. Uh, Hebrews 12, at the beginning of that chapter, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings to us so closely, and let us run with endurance, look into Jesus. Hold on, trust in Him, and wait it out. That's what this, that's what this is about. That's what we got to do. Their greatest storm to the greatest calm. This is not a kid's story. Because kids don't have fears like we do. They just got monsters in the closet. We know about the real monsters. We know about the real troubles. This is for us. And I'm a fool if I forget to turn around and wake up Jesus. And yeah, he might say, Dan, what's your problem? You got enough faith for this. And I say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And he will. Well, when they get to the other side in verse 28, when he came to the other side, to the other country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one would pass that way. And Behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So They came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down to the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the waters. Then the herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. This is a wild story. Wild men, right? But I don't, it's unbelievable. You can go to the other accounts in the Gospels and see just how wild these demon, the, the, the demon possession was in this situation. Just how crazy. Right, here's the magic question, right? What would it feel like to be possessed? We can't answer this. But I have this vision of, <clears throat> and the way, that, way it plays out, especially when you put all the stories together, that uncontrol feeling. That feeling of, I have no control. My passions are out of control. I want it, I have to have it, and I don't know how to stop myself. My temper, my hunger. I got angry, and I don't know what to do with it. I have a pile of anger inside me, and I don't know how to let go. My fears and my anxieties have taken over, and I don't know what I can do the next day. I think that that's probably what it's like. It's, it's close, right? That's how we can relate. They're also uncontrolled by others. My anxiety has overcome me, and I don't know what to do. And clearly, not that I'm being ugly to you, you can't help me either. These are guys, we don't ever want to say that people are without hope, right? But this is painting the picture of two men who have no hope. They are hopeless. They can't get out of it, and no one can get them out of it. 
Jesus can. That's the reason we can say no one's hopeless. But the picture of this story is here are two hopeless people. There's nothing they can do, and it's hitting them. And they're out of control. And how, how horrible that would feel. Now, in the previous story, the storm came out of nowhere and landed on top of us, right? In this story, and I want you to bear with me, I'm making a, I'm making a leap here with this. But the only way that I can identify with demon possession is saying, I, I have been feeding my lust and passion so much that I don't know what to do my, with myself. I am addicted to whatever it is, a behavior, a chemical, a reaction, a reaction to a certain kind of people, and I can't stop myself. And so I'm just going to say, I don't think it's true that they brought the demons on themselves, but for the sake of what we need to consider here, creating your own demons, right? They made choices. I'll stop talking about them. I've made choices to sin. And they would pile up, and I didn't know how to stop. Maybe choosing to neglect to care for someone that I ought to care for. And I, I, don't, know, I don't know how to get that started anymore. I've, I've lost that relationship. Choosing to satisfy myself and to play and leaving my family behind. Which is a choice to hurt somebody. A choice to take away from somebody else. And, and I don't know what to do. Have you ever felt that way? I have. I don't feel that way anymore. I don't think I ever will again but I'm trying to keep my eyes wide open for what I do. because I don't ever want to be there again. It's our own shame let loose and out of control. I can't control me and you can't control me. And it scares everybody and makes everybody sad. And this is awful. I think that this is, it's at least how I identify with it. I, I don't know how to identify with demon possession, but it's a lesson that I can learn from it. But these men, out of control, and no one able to control them. No one willing to go up to them. What did they know? Verse 29. What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before our time? If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. They know Jesus. Boy, do they know Jesus. And they are afraid of what he can do. If you are before the time, this, this ain't the time. If you send us away, uh, send us into pigs. I don't even know any idea what they're referring to. I don't know what that can be. Sent away where? I, I don't know how to answer that. They were terrified. They knew Jesus. Do I? Do I know Jesus enough to recognize him to then be terrified knowing who and what I am and what I've been doing? They knew you know, and it talks about in James, I think in 2.19, uh, even the demons believe and shudder. How many of us believe and don't, have the, don't shudder? They knew, and they thought pigs was a better choice. Pigs were a better choice than what they knew they deserved. The prodigal son would have loved to have eaten the pig food, which means he didn't get to eat it. He just would have loved it. <laughs> Until he came to his senses. Now, the pigs were pretty smart. They knew, they knew how to take care of demons. They just ran them off. That's a crazy story. Running off, they're all dead. What would that look like? What would that sound like? Then the people show up, right? Well, before they show up, some go away. In verse 33, the herdsmen fled. 
Going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed. Behold, all the city came to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. The, the herdsmen, they see it, and they run, right? They, they're going to report. They're going to go tattle on Jesus. They don't inquire. They don't investigate. They don't say, um, hold on. What would you do with our pigs? They, they just run. They don't check it out. They have almost no curiosity. They're not interested in why aren't those crazy guys crazy guys anymore. What happened to the? They just go. Quick judgment. That's what I see there. Unwilling to think, unwilling to care. They go and they get everybody and they beg him to leave their region after they see him, after they meet him. And I, I'm, I try to think about why they did that. I, I, I can think of two motivations. Number one, just flat out fear. They were in the presence of great power exhibited by the crazy guys. They, aren't, they ain't crazy no more. And all the pigs are gone. I don't know what that was, but that's great power. And they're afraid of that, that authority he was probably speaking words of authority and judgment, whether he was judgmental or not. He's speaking. And they probably were motivated by greed. Well, there goes our pigs. Loss of money, loss of investment. Maybe, maybe they were tending somebody else's pigs and they're afraid of getting in trouble. Or I, don't, I don't know what it is. But both of those motivations were bigger to them. They were being afraid and being greedy was more important to them than living. Jesus gives life. Jesus, the man who freed two people possessed by demons. Jesus, who controlled the uncontrolled. Jesus, who tempered their stormy tempers, who could do so much more. There's more to life than having demons cast out of you. There is being saved. And Jesus could do that. They didn't care because they were afraid or they were greedy or they were wanting the new next big thing. I don't know. You can supply whatever you think motivated them. But it was more important than the life Jesus could offer. You think about well, how could anyone do that? You start thinking of examples either in your own life or people you've seen in your life. You can go to the Bible in Hebrews chapter three. God talks about they're always going astray in their hearts. Or in chapter 12 where it talks about how that, that root of bitterness or that unholy Esau. These people, the author of Hebrews is saying, people who are right there at the door of God who turn away in their hearts and don't want it. That's how it happens. We need to, we need to be the good soil, right, in the parable of the sower. Or in Psalm 1, don't be like the guy who's standing and uh, walking and standing and sitting with those unholy people. But instead, starting in verse two, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. If I delight in God's law. And I work with it. I don't know how to delight in God's law, but I'll give it a shot and I'll read it and I'll think about it and you learn how to. You become like he who is. Uh, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its seasons and its leaf doesn't wither and all that he does, he prospers. You are right there at the source of life. That is where you're planted, by the river, not way over there. And that's what we need to be. These men were out of control and Jesus brought them under his com complete and supreme control. What more could I ask for? God, I'm out of control. I don't know what to do. I need your help. What do I have to fear? 
If you can get me out of this, God, and we know he can. It's not a if you can. But if you can get me out of this, I'll really know, won't I? Now, I should know before it, but God helps so that we can know more fully. Think of all the times when Gideon was afraid and God said, here, I'll give you this help to show how much I'm with you. God helps us. And if we rest on those moments, we can know that God is there to help us too. We're out of control. We can be in control. We really can. We're going to have to work on it, but God's going to do most of the work. Jesus calms these storms. All right, so one, you're having a normal day, and life explodes, right? The wind came down on top of the boat. What am I going to do? That's life. Life explodes all around us. The storm comes down. We can't see it coming. But I can always be ready by reinforcing and nourishing and cultivating my faith. And the only way to do that is reading God's word and thinking about it and talking with y'all. Right? That's the way we work on that. We read it and we think about it and then, and then we talk. Whether it's Bible talks about the text or just spiritual talks, or whatever it is. But we work on that. That's how we feed and nourish the faith, so that when the storm comes, yeah, it was awful. Well, why aren't you stressed out about it? Well, guess what I've been working on my whole life. Our faith helps us to hold on to that boat, because we know God's going to take care of the storm. So that's when storms come out of nowhere and hit us. But there are other storms that we make ourselves. Those are shameful, and they're embarrassing. Sometimes that shame or embarrassment is so much that I don't even want to try. I need to get over myself. That's just pride. Daniel, stop being a fool. I mean, you are a fool because you made this mess. Don't be a bigger fool. Own up to it. Find a brother to talk to. Get help. Talk to your wife. Talk to your family. Talk to the, whatever it is. Get the help you need. Go to God with these things. We won't always admit that we're in a storm, right? Oh, everything's fine. And people are looking at, at, at our family and they're saying, it's crumbling around you. But if we open up our eyes, God will help us to understand what's going on. Those demon-possessed men, the demons are talking to Jesus. I wonder if the demon-possessed men realize that this is their chance. I don't know. Our faith helps us cling to the only Savior who brings forgiveness and removes guilt. And when my conscience is clean... Broke down car is okay. <laughs> because I can still survive because my conscience is clean. I want to close by looking at Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Psalm 107 is a really neat psalm. It has uh, some sections in it. Um, after verses 1 through 3, which I think is, a, uh, is the main section or the introduction, there's some, I'll call them verses, like 4 through 9, you might have a bit of a paragraph, uh, paragraph break. Uh, you, you might see some of those breaks, and I'm going to read two of them that, that just fit so perfectly with it. We're going to read 17 through 22, and then we're going to read 23 through 32, and then I'll, I'll read the last verse to close it out. Psalm 107, 17. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. 
They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He sent word out. He sent out of his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in song of joy. And this one, verse 17. You're a fool and you made a mess and you called out to God and he just helped you out of it. It makes me think of the way I look at those demon possessed men, right? Their sinful ways and their iniquities that are causing them affliction and they can't even eat and at their gates of death. Well, in the other accounts, we see they're in a graveyard. So they're literally at the gates of the land of the dead. I, I think that's a neat connection. And God just says, I'll help. Verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters and they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up at the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heavens and they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and they were at their wits end. And they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. God is absolutely willing to help us with the troubles that come our way. And I just need to take the time to stop sweating and being scared and having a sleepless night and just talk to God. I don't know why that's hard for me to do. I assume it's hard for all of us sometimes. I just need to stop. and Slow down and turn and say, Lord, save me, for I am perishing. The psalmist says that that's what Jesus is going to do. And we sure saw Jesus do that. Verse 43, whoever's wise, let him attend to these things. Let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. If you are smart, and you know you are, right? You know you're smart. If you're smart, you're going to think about this. Not my sermon. Don't worry about me. But you're going to think about this. You are going to consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Not just that he loves you. We know God loves you. you know, we see signs up at, all over the place about that. But that he does love you. And it's a steadfast love that's going to get you out of the storms you created. Get you out of the storms that maybe he created. Bigger than that, he is going to save you if you want it. Now, I do not know all of you. When I'm home in Albany, I know everybody. And I know I don't need to invite anyone to be baptized because I know who we all are and where we're at. But I don't know about you. I don't know what you need. This is not a baptism sermon. This is a sermon about Jesus saving you. If you want to learn about baptism, there's a lot of people here who will tell you all about it. I'll talk to you about it, too. But if you need Christ in your life because life has fallen apart or because you have been breaking it apart. This is a great opportunity. I know everybody here well enough to know how much love and and help there is. I have seen so many people jump up to talk and to help before, during, and I know after. That if you have any needs, there are a lot of people here who want to talk to you about it and bring you to Christ. 
There's a lot of people here who want to bring you to Christ. They can't save you, I can't save you, but Christ can. And if you are willing to say, Lord, save me for I am perishing, Jesus will do it. If you have any needs, talk to someone next to you. Afterwards, come forward as we stand. Whatever it is, you feel right.